a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. 30,000 foot view of the season that's been. How, how do you explain how this year's been for yourself? Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's been a roller coaster. It's been... Um, it's been exciting. Uh, it's been eventful. Uh, I think there are, I think there are a lot of positives, a lot of things that, you know, that we can hold our heads up and be really proud of. Um, obviously things that we can and and should improve moving forward. Um, but I think we'll do that. And so, you know, overall, I, I think, I think we're all, I think we're happy, maybe not as happy as, you know, there were certainly some missed opportunities. Um, but that's sports. That's that's soccer. Uh, and so we, uh, overall, it's been a good year. It's been a lot of fun, but it's not over yet. Right. The external um, perspective prior to the season was that the club would finish towards the bottom of the West. Um yeah, I'm sure you do. But yeah, I'm sure knowing yourself and other people in the club like that that wasn't necessarily truthful. You guys felt as though you had a pretty good team at the start of the year. Yeah. Is is where you ended up finish scraping into the playoffs is that is that probably fair for for where this team's at right now, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Um I think look, like I said there were some missed opportunities. Um, where where you know we feel we could have finished a little higher in the table, but yeah, you got to look at it. You 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 got to look at it rationally and and try to move emotions. And you know there were things that that fell in our favor as well. So at the end of the day, yeah, it's it's probably a, a fair result. Um, and uh, you know that's why I say I think I think we're all you know at the beginning of the season we obviously have conversations and, and we felt like, like we could be a playoff team. Certainly we, we didn't, we didn't agree with everybody saying that we were the worst team in the West or the worst team in the league. That's for sure. Um, you know, we, we believed in the group. We believed in, in everybody we have in that building. And I, I, I guess I can say that we definitively proved that to be accurate. Right. Um, Working without ownership often has a negative connotation kind of associated to it, right? Everybody thinks it's but – but I have to assume, you know, like, sure, you don't have maybe the funds to, to purchase DPs that you would like to have at your disposal, but you, you don't have a boss. You know, you work with the league who's as neutral as it comes. So 
Has there actually been like positives coming from the last year and a half without ownership? Yeah, there have. Uh, I mean, there there are certainly challenges associated with it. Uh, you know, as you alluded to, you know, the fi- the finances aren't always you know robust. Um, but as you also said, we you know we're able to to make decisions and we're able to go through, you know, our process internally and really refine that process and, and believe in it and make decisions and then, and then act on those decisions and believe in those decisions as opposed to, you know, some of the other, you know, look, anytime you add another influential piece to a decision-making process, you're just, you're just adding unknowns. And so, whether that's ownership or whether that's any other, you know, piece, um, it it can introduce uncertainty or instability into a process. And so we had the stability of going through our process that we all believed in and being able to commit to it. Um, and and I think in some cases and in many ways that benefited us. So since since you haven't had ownership, you have you have acquired players. You've signed players. Um, three over the summer: Daktovich, Bobby Wood, and um, Johnny Menendez. I'm sure, I'm sure they're all slightly different in their own way. But 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 if you can, can you kind of like inform you know us and the fans that are, that are watching and listen to this? Like how, how does how does that happen without an owner? How, you know, like what are the processes that you have to go through yeah. in as much detail as you're allowed to share? Yeah, I mean, I think. Strictly speaking, from a financial standpoint, the biggest impact ownership has on the roster itself, um, generally speaking, is in you know discretionary funds that you have available to you to to invest in players. Um, the most influential discretionary funds are designated players. Um, so that's a you know then there's also targeted allocation money and and you're allowed to you know that is discretionary but that is a you know a limited pot of money you can't go above a certain amount and so we were given um a budget that reflected what we had spent the year before which was a certain amount on targeted allocation money players and we were allowed to spend that again essentially um we weren't allowed to add to our discretionary spend which is where the designated players would have come in. Um, so we didn't sign any designated players. Uh, all of those players that you referenced either fit into targeted allocation money, like into that budget that we had. Um, I mean, more or less, it's us reallocating resources that we would have, you know, that we spent in different ways the year before. We spent them on those players this year. Um, and then you know, just in the, the regular salary budget, which is not discretionary spend. That is not money that comes out of, you know, the club's uh, finances on a, you know, month-to-month basis. So so when new ownership does come into the fold, is DPs, is that the first order of business if you had it your way? Because uh, you have two now, right? You, 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 well, we, we have two... We have we have Albert and Demir who who occupy designated player spots. But Demir didn't start the season as a DP, did he? Uh, he technically started the season. We, oh, we moved him into a DP slot, but he is eligible for multiple spots on the roster. So um, we have, and you know, 
it's widely known. Albert's out of contract at the end of the year. So if we chose to sign three new DPs, we could do that. Um, now we would certainly like to have Albert back. So those are conversations that'll, you know, that are happening and we'll pick up steam, but, um, so in an ideal world, you'll just have one DP to sign this off season. Yeah, I mean, Demir look, and Albert the, next year. I think the answer to that question more is, is more holistic and includes a few more, uh, you know, moving pieces than that. Um, I think it's a conversation with ownership about how we want to prioritize things, how we want to um, structure the roster and the organization moving forward uh, to fit into, you know, their vision. Um, so could it be that we want to sign, you know, we also this year they introduced the under 22 um, uh, initiative, which allows you to bring in players in that mechanism as well, which is discretionary, discretionary spending. Um, so do we want to do some of that as well? I mean, you know, we have, we will have the flexibility to craft our roster. However, we, we would like to, frankly. Um, so I, I think it's more of a, DPs are certainly part of it and that'll be a part of the conversation um with ownership but it is it's not as clear cut as just okay well let's go sign you know x number of dps it's okay how do these dps fit into you know our organizational philosophy and what you want to do what your vision is as an as an ownership you know as ownership as an ownership group whatever it is um it's just there's a lot of moving pieces, I guess, is what I would say to that. Um, so I'm going to go back to the, the start of the year. You you hired Pablo um, as an assistant. What was it about him that intrigued you as as much as it did? He's a leader. Um, you know, he's when you listen to him speak, you you know, you can tell why people follow him and why the passion he has for the game, the passion he has for, for coaching, for the sport and, and now for our club. Um, he, he obviously has incredible experience as well. Um, that that's invaluable in a locker room like ours, uh, for a guy like Pablo to be able to, spend time with our players and speak to our players about, you know, not just what it is to succeed in our league, but on an international stage, you know, he's, he's been there and he's done that. And, uh, those are, you know, those are things that really are valuable in, you know, to having a coaching staff. I know there was like, you know, some fans out there were, were wondering the environment within the locker room, how much of a role, you know, did he play in being hired for that reason to try and create a certain culture? Um, has he has he done that? Do you think has he has he kind of changed the way the locker room operates? Yeah, I mean, ev look, every hire that we make in every position, um, obviously some of them more influential than others, but uh, has to fit into the culture and has to help create culture and drive the culture that we need forward. So 
that absolutely unequivocally was a part of, you know, bringing him in, uh, was his ability to create culture and, and to, um, you know, build, build our group and, and reinforce what we need in our group. Um, and he, he's done that certainly. I mean, I think, you know, you look, you watch games like Sunday, um, and you see the fight and you see the determination and you see the guys, you know, believing that's, that's culture. That's a big part of the culture. So, um, absolutely. He's done that. You were in the sixth seed back in towards the end of August and news breaks that, um, the gaffer Freddie Juarez has decided to take an assistant role in Seattle. Um, I think you've you've been pretty public about how it unfolded, you know, the, the conversations with Garth and then um, you know, having a club policy where you'll never not allow somebody to take that phone call if it ever comes. How how did all of that transpire? What 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 were the the steps in how that all, that all unfolded? Yeah, I mean, look, that was it. I mean. Seattle called and asked permission to to speak to Freddie about their open assistant coaching position and and we said, you know, yes, that's our, you know, again like you like you said that's a, you know, it's a personal belief of mine that that we should always, you know, allow people to explore conversations, you know, if if the phone call comes, you know, we shouldn't deny them the ability to have a conversation. Um we, we of course want people to want to be here. Um, and it goes back to the culture you talk about. We need to create a culture that, that where people want to be here. And, and if, if a situation comes up and you don't want to be here anymore, then, you know, we have to, you know, we're going to have to have conversations. We'll have to figure it out. And, and look, that's not the end of the conversations with, you know, Freddie and with Seattle. Right. I mean, it's, you know, there are, you know, we have to come to an agreement to allow him to go. And it's, it's not, it's not that as soon as we say, yes, you can speak to him, then suddenly he can just walk away. So, um, you know, there was, there were more conversations that were had and, uh, it was, I think, uh, you know, Freddie felt, I, I don't know, I, I shouldn't speak for Freddie. Um, but everybody felt that it was the move that, that he wanted to make and he, you know, he felt was right for him. And, and we felt like we could, you know, we could accommodate under the set of circumstances. And, and we, you know, we felt like we had Pablo who could take over for in the interim and, and do a good job and we could go from there. So I guess my, my next question was, were you at all surprised he decided to not, not leave necessarily, but just take the phone call, you know, in the middle of the season when he's got as good of a job as he's ever had in his life, but it sounds like you, you probably weren't all that surprised. Uh, no, I, 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 look, the things that we've seen over the last couple of years, the things that I've seen while, you know, being with this club and in this job, nothing surprises me these days. Uh, I, you know, Freddie, did a great job in a lot of roles for this club for a long, long time. Um, he had, you know, the team that was in first place in the Western conference, who's a perennial power and, um, some really, really talented, good people that work there. 
um, you know, calling him and asking him if they, he wanted to come work with him. I, I suppose on some level, I'm not surprised he would have the conversation. I think you kind of owe it to yourself to have a conversation. Um, so I don't, I, I don't, I haven't even thought about that to be honest. Like in the moment, I didn't even think about it. It was, you know, I went to Freddie and I said, they, they called and they want to speak to you. And I told them they can speak to you. So that, you know, Freddie, Freddie knows Garth, Freddie knows Craig Weibel, Freddie knows, you know, people on that coaching staff. It's the, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to pretend to know what, you know, what went through his mind, you know. Job security is obviously paramount in, in your profession or just professional sports in general. And sure. I'm sure the lack of ownership kind of yeah. poised as some, some, some daunting kind of future for him. And Seattle's a pretty cushiony job. So I think at first the fan base was, was, pretty shocked by the, and, but you know, you sit down and you think about it more and put some of the, it started to make a bit more sense. Yeah. I mean, and, and uh, look, I understand the, the fan base feeling that way. I mean, I've, there's, you never know what's going on, um, for each individual person either. Um, and, you know, one thing I've, I've, I try to remind myself all the time and I've certainly seen it over and over is you never know what somebody's going through or what priority somebody has, or, um, you know, what long-term desire they have to, to do X, Y, or Z. Um, so judging their decisions isn't always fair. You don't always have all the information. You rarely have all the information. Um, from the outside. So, you know, again, I, I certainly look, I love Freddie. Freddie's great. You know, Freddie and I worked together for a long, long time and he's really good and he's really good at what he does. He's going to be really good for Seattle for as, as long as he wants to be there, I'm sure. Um, so, you know, I, it's a decision that, that was made and, and, uh, you know, I think everybody, everybody can can move on from now so all right freddie moves and um and you the club immediately um publicizes that it, that, that pablo is going to be the interim and at the same time a statement comes out saying that an immediate search for uh, full-time management is is going to be conducted and i think two days later or like the next day vancouver fired their manager which um between you and I didn't make a ton of sense, but, but whatever, we don't need to get into that. And then uh, Real Salt Lake gets pummeled. I think it was four one in the end up there in, in BC place. It may well have been their first game back as well. Or it was, it was, okay, there you go. And Oh, in their, no, it was, I think it was their second game second back in game Vancouver. Back. It was yeah. their first game since they right, okay. let go of Dos Santos. And, um, what, what were you thinking? You know, when, when, I mean, did it surprise you at all that, because it was a battle of, you know, at first, I guess, when Freddie left, you're going into Vancouver thinking it's probably not going to end up end up well. For, but then Vancouver fires their head coach, and all of a sudden, you know, it's a fifty, it's a two two horse race again. But but then Real Salt Lake gets pummeled. You, you know, what was going through your head? Yeah, I mean, look, you never know with individual games. It's it's always it's always interesting to to try to. It's easy right now to go back and and say, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's easy to go back and say, well, 
X, Y, and Z in the moment. I mean, I don't know that any of us thought necessarily one way or the other. Um, I thought we felt, you know, we, we felt good about Pablo and his ability to step in and, and take, take the reins and lead the group. You know, like I said, he's a leader. He's been a head coach in MLS. So it wasn't, it wasn't completely foreign to him. Um, that said, you know, it was two hours before the team got on the plane to go to Vancouver that they, that their head coach left and they had a new head coach now. So, you know, it's not enough time for Pablo to really implement anything either. It's, you know, it's one of those kind of weird, one of those weird setups. And so that's why I think you saw, we saw the group evolve more after that match. So, um, I, I don't know. I mean, it was certainly a little surreal. You go and you play a game against the team that also just fired their coach. And, uh, certainly they were emotional and I think those emotions can play out in many different ways and you don't always know exactly how, how it's going to happen. Um, and it's also, it's also soccer. I mean, like one or two breaks go against you and suddenly the floodgates open and it, you know, it's, you know, we've seen that a in a couple games this year where, you know, things just break the wrong way. And we've seen it where things break the right way. I mean, it's, it's just, that's the sport. So, um, you know, it was a tough result, but at the end of the day, it was, it was one game. And I guess my point here is he was pretty quick to kind of completely change a lot of things, including the shape of the team and how the team played the, the style in which they, the club played, like how much of a, a say do you have with all of that? Is he required to go to you and say, Elliot, I'm, you know, because he's an interim, right? He's not, he's not the full time boss yet. And so, he's, did he ever come to you and be like, hey, I want to play three five two? What do you think? Do you think am I? You know, I guess am I allowed? I mean, I, like, how does that all work? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, he's in, he's the interim head coach, but at the end of the day, he's the head coach, so. He needs to be allowed to make the decisions that, that he feels are best for the group, you know, week in and week out. So he acts as if he doesn't have the interim tag. Yeah. Next to his name. That's how. Yeah. Okay. Um, as far as those, we certainly had conversations about, okay, what, you know, he spoke to us about, I, I think I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go to three. Um, okay. You know, we talk through it. Uh, you know, we have, we have conversations after every game. So, that said, they're his decisions. Um, I'm never going to tell him, yes, you can or no, you can't do, you know, X, Y, or Z. Now, if it look at the end of the year, we do have to have conversations about philosophically where are we going? What are we? I mean, obviously, we sign players to fit into certain formations, but even even more importantly, into you know who we are, our, our ethos and, and our, um, you know, the way we want to play, because I think that that is separate from a formation. A formation is simply there to allow you to implement your, um, your, your desired traits, right? And, and you, what you're doing is you're setting up the team so that you can, you can affect a game the way you want to affect the game. Um, and, and in some cases it's so that you can put, 
you know, your best 11 players for that game on the field or the 11 players that you think are going to help you get the result. Or, you know, there's a lot of different reasons you do things in different formations. Um, at the end of the day, the, the formation is a starting point. Um, but the, you know, the club philosophy and, uh, the way we want to play is, is, is a little more ingrained than the formation. And so if, yes, if he wants to change all of that, we're probably going to have to have a, a deeper conversation. And frankly, it's not something that we would do in the middle of the season anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. Have you, have you enjoyed the, um, the, the, the change? I mean, like, so I've been covering Real Salt Lake now since, um, like full-time-ish, 2016, 17, yeah, it's been five, six years. And I can't remember a, a manager or, or a team that's as aggressive as... Now, I understand they changed against Sporting Kansas City, but but Pablo's essentially said, you know, we're going to score goals and we're going to score multiple of them. If you want to beat us, you're going to have to put up three, four goals of yourself. And some teams have been able to do that, and there's clearly some issues structurally with how they're playing defensively. But... Have you enjoyed kind of this? Maybe you haven't. I don't know. Because sometimes it's a, it's a roller coaster. Sometimes I've enjoyed it. No, uh, I mean, look, we all want to. We all want to watch attacking soccer. We all want to watch aggressive. Uh, you know, we want to be on the front foot. We want to be the ones bringing the you know bringing the game to our opponents. Now, there are times it hasn't worked, obviously. Um, and have I enjoyed that? No. Um, but that, that's the roller coaster of a season. You're going to go through that. Um, we, you know, I don't know what the final numbers were. We scored what 50 something goals this year. I mean, I think, I do think we played good, aggressive attacking soccer. Um, we need to be more sound defensively at times, but, uh, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I have, I, yes, I've enjoyed, I enjoyed the season. Um, and I think we were a different team by the end of it than we were at the beginning of it. Well, I don't want to speak for you, but for you to be the general manager of a professional sporting club, you have to be somewhat of an adrenaline junkie because it's not like your job security is all that secure. You can go get an, you can go get, find a more secure job than the one you have. So you have to enjoy kind of the, the adrenaline a little bit, which is the only reason I ask. You must like part of you, even though it is stressful, you know, when you're, you know, you're tied in on the road in a game you should win and then you win for Yeah, like part of it must be pretty fun. Oh, it, absolutely. There are moments. I mean, I've, I've said this to a lot of people. Moments like Sunday night, you know, when Dami scored that goal and the release and you, this, the way you get to, like just the, the pure joy, that's, that's why you do these things. That's why, you know, that's why the players play. That's why we work in these jobs and that's why fans are fans, right? I mean, that's, that's what attracts everybody to sport and to competition because you have this, you know, you have these moments, you hopefully have these moments. And fortunately this year we were able to have some and, and that one's, you know, at the top of the list, but you have these moments that you'll remember for the rest of your life. And, and, you know, I know that, you know, we had, we had an all staff call the other day and, and we asked a question to everybody, you know, who spoke on it, where were you and, and, you know, what were you, what were you thinking? And you saw people 
doing people talking about doing all different kinds of things. And, you know, tears were shed on the call. There were, you know, people talking about how they just, it was this pure joy with their whole family. There were people who, one or two people who said, you know what, I'd given up and I'd walked away. And then I heard the people in the other room losing it. And it's, it's those moments and it's that joy and that just pure emotion that, you know, that, like you said, it gets the adrenaline going. And yes, I mean, you, I guess you have to be an adrenaline junkie to, to put up with it. Cause there, there are a lot of lows too. I mean, like it, the, just as high as we were on Sunday, you know, there were some lows immediately preceding that. So Demir, you, you brought up the goal against Sporting Kansas city. Um, like how, how do you find more Demirs? <laughs> uh, well, he just seems like he, such a, such an honest human. He's uh, polite. He's genuine. Uh, he's, he's authentic, but he's also like incredibly talented. And he's not selfish. He's always willing to do it. Like, how do you find more? Because I just feel like if you can if you can find more of them, the more you have, probably the better you are in more ways than one. So, like, where do you start? There, there's no question. Um, how do you find more Demirs? Uh, if if it was if it was that easy, I you know, I, we'd well, I, there a lot of things would be different, I suppose. Um, he's only played for two clubs. Yeah, well, I think three. He played in Croatia, right? But, but, but no. But and it says a lot about him. Yeah, no, it does. And and I think that you actually touch on something there. And so, when you're looking for players and when you're identifying targets, it's about you know character is just as important as anything else. Um, who who the players are and and what motivates them and and why they want to be here. Um, and why they want to do what they do matters. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a, it's a process and, and we have to be diligent and we have to be, we have to be willing to walk away. We have to be willing to say no. And sometimes you're gonna have to be willing to kind of take a chance. Um, because look, in some ways we were taking a chance on Demir as well. Uh, he's, he's a guy coming from, second division in Germany, um, who I don't, maybe was a little older than the, you know, the position we were ideally looking for. And he's not old. I don't mean that in the slightest, but, um, when we spent time with him and, and when we got to know who he was, we knew he was the, he was the right fit. Yeah. I mean, certainly with some guys, you'll figure it out. And like you said, I mean, Demir's Demir's one of the nicest, most genuine people you'll ever come across. Um, and he's a pro. And obviously, he's a phenomenal soccer player. So uh, it was – it's not easy to find more Demirs. Um, we'll take every one of them we can. Uh, but, but you know, that's – that is a part of it. And, and, and look, I think it's the, – the other thing I'll say is – it takes time. It, it, it even took Demir time to become Demir here. Right. Um, now he had some really big moments early as well, but you know, he's continued to get better and better. And I think, I think a lot of that is the character and a lot of that is who the players are. And, and I feel confident in saying that the guys who we've brought in, um, certainly recently are of the same character. Um, and, 
you know, we didn't, we signed them because, you know, we went through a process and we believed in who they were. And, and I, I think they're all going to be able to contribute in significant ways. Now, are they all going to become Demir? I mean, if they do, we'll, you know, we'll probably have another star above the, uh, the crest at some point soon, but you know, I certainly believe they're all going to be, you know, positive contributors for it. Is the process the club takes when, when interviewing, you know, prospects and potential players, is, is it the same for every player or does it no, differ? It, it can't be the same. Um, cause every situation is different. Well, so explain and that then. How, like, and maybe it's hard to explain because if it, it it's a little, I mean, it's a little hard to explain just because it's so much about getting to know the person and, each person is different. So, you know, and, and the process has to be different. So, you know, over the last year we haven't been able to travel. Right. So we, when, you know, when we, when we signed Tony Dakovich, um, we had to rely on finding out who he was and his character in ways other than flying and sitting and meeting with him face to face, because that just wasn't an option. Um, now Demir knew him. So we were able to vet him with Demir and we were able to talk to him about who he was and, and what kind of professional he was. Um, you know, we were able to talk to a couple other people at clubs that he had been at, um, you know, Anderson Julio, we signed at the beginning of the year and it, that was different because we had, we had made an offer for him a year earlier. And so we had flown to see him face to face. We had, you know, we had done our due diligence and it didn't work out at the time, but then he became available again. And so then it was, all right, we don't have to go through the same process in this moment. Um, you know, we've gone through a process. We obviously we have to check some more boxes. We still have to have conversations, but, um, it's just, it's different each time depending on, uh, what, you know, what the circumstances are. Now that said, the root of it is all the same and it's what is your character? Do you fit in with the group? Do you fit in with the culture? Um, and, and establishing that and, and doing everything we can to glean that from the player. Uh, and, and then look, you're going to get some right. You're going to get some wrong. Um, but it, I, I guess, I guess what I would say is the process is different every time, but the root goal is the same. There are a million different ways I could go with this, and we probably don't have all the time in the world. But, like, how how often does the the culture of a locker room change? Because, like, part of your job would have to be to establish, you know, how that locker room works. And then when you go out and you sign players, you go, you know what, I think I think so-and-so is going to fit, but I don't know if so-and-so is going to fit. You know, this guy will, but this guy won't. Here's why. Like, how often are you trying to establish what the locker room is? And how do you even... Is it the leaders? Um, look, that- yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of it, leadership. Um, the culture of the locker room is a living, breathing thing. Uh, it's, it changes all the time. Um, you know, the culture we have today is different than the culture we had day one, which is different than the culture we had last year, which is different than the culture we had the year before. Um, and that's because very rarely are all of the inputs going to stay consistent. Um, so, you know the you're always going to have different influences and different pieces coming into it uh that that tweak it here and there now again the end goal is the same thing which is a culture that 
is going to fight for one another, is going to believe in, in the vision and believe in the plan and believe in where we're headed. Um, and is going to do things the right way. Uh, and, and most importantly is going to treat people the right way. Um, so I, I think there are, when you're having these conversations, there are kind of core values and principles that you want to see. And if you check those boxes, there are a lot of ways that you can implement them. And, and, and then it's about finding pieces that, um, that complement each other. Um, and you know, because, you know, even we talk about leadership, there's different types of leadership. And so, you know, one leader may lead in a certain way. And so then you need a guy who's going to lead in a slightly different way. And, you know, you don't want four leaders on a team that all do the exact same thing because you're going to, you're going to leave a void, um, because you're, you're just not going to, you're not going to hit every angle of it. And so, you know, you, you have to balance it and you, it's, like I said, it's living and breathing. So it's one day or one year, it might be this and then this, and then the next year it's, you know, a little bit of a shift here or there and players change and players evolve and grow. Um, and so you need to complement them differently at times as well. So prior to the Sporting Kansas City game, I was speaking to um, Aaron Herrera via just me- basic media availability. And um, I can't quite remember the question I asked, but oh, we were talking about kind of defensive transition and how it's been an issue and, you know, how, how do they plan on solving it prior to the sporting game? And he said, you know, communication's obviously integral if you want to be good, really in any sport. And he said, it's hard. He said, really hard because there are some guys on the team that uh, don't speak great English. There are other guys that don't speak much Spanish at all. Or, you know, it's just like communicate, basic communication can be difficult. And so then Pablo came on to the podium and I asked him about communication. He agreed with Aaron. He said, look, it, it was an issue we had at Houston last year, and it's, it's an issue we're having at Real Salt Lake now. So walk me through. You're obviously in charge of the players that come and go. Um, with communication being as integral as it is for anything, any team to have success, you know, you, you've got to make sure the players can speak to each other. Sure. Ha, ha, the balancing act, I have to assume. It is. So if, if, so if you were to go sign somebody from Japan, yeah, would you have to sign another player from Japan so that they have each other? Because bringing one guy in from Japan into a team where nobody speaks Japanese, that's probably not going to work out for that one yeah. player. There's two, maybe, but I mean, how does that well, complicate? Well, yeah, we've we've had we've had these conversations over the years, and I I don't think there's always a clear cut answer for that. I mean, it, it might be yes, it might be. Yeah. Okay. Let's say we sign a, you know, a DP Japanese player and he doesn't speak any English. He doesn't speak any Spanish. And so we are just throwing him in and he doesn't speak the language at all. It, it probably would benefit us to have somebody he can communicate with, or, um, you know, there are ways you can do that. Can you bring in a translator? Can you, I mean, there, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different ways to solve those problems. Um, now we we haven't been confronted with that exact situation. I mean, look, broadly speaking, most of the players that that we've brought in speak English or Spanish, um, if not both. Do they have to. Uh, they don't. They they don't have to. Um, now I think they have to. Certainly, if if you're going to bring in players that don't speak either of those languages. 
it it then becomes incumbent upon us and them to learn the language and teach them the language. I mean, it's, you know, we, it's English lessons, which, which we provide for Spanish speaking players as well. And, and, you know, also we've, we've done things where we try to provide some Spanish for English speaking players so that they can communicate as well. I mean, you know, it's, it's also about having a coaching staff that's able to communicate with them. And, and that's really important. So, um, it's, it's always a challenge in a global game like this. It's, you're always going to be presented with some version of that challenge. Um, and it's why, you know, it's also why continuity really helps you because if you keep a group consistent, they're going to grow together and they're going to communicate and they're, you know, just naturally there's going to be more avenue for communication. So, um, we, we certainly place an emphasis on it and, and, you know, we have to be cognizant of it. Um, and there's certainly more we can do and, and we will, you know, we talk about it all the time and, and how we can continue to implement more and more ways to facilitate that and, and facilitate that growth. Um, and, and that's just one element of the growth that we, you know, we try to, we try to bring about. Um, the coaching search it was inevitable. I was going to bring it up at some point. I figure I'd bring it up now. Um, I guess you're, you're probably not going to give names, which, which is fine. No, why would you? I don't know. To, um, but there's obviously like, 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 help me understand and the fans understand like the process it takes to get to wherever you are now, because I think it's interesting. Um, Freddie leaves, coaching surf starts. Okay, so it's like, you're in charge of it. You know, you and a few other blokes are in charge of kind of trying to figure out what, like, where do you, where do you, where do you start? Do you go, uh, global search? Or do you go, you know what? International managers in Major League Soccer haven't worked out. Let's start with managers that are available in North America and go from there. And then you go, okay, so we've got this pool. And then, like, how do you, like, just go from step to step? It's, um, I mean, Look, there were a lot of conversations. There have been hundreds and hundreds of hours spent, I mean, thousands of hours spent in these conversations in, you know, going through a process. But, but you know, it started with, all right, let's sit down and let's talk about candidates. Um, let's talk about people we know are available. And as soon as the news breaks, I mean, we're all being inundated with messages and emails, uh, just uh, you name it, okay. we get it that way, which which is fine. I mean, and, and so you know, you, you do a little research on those people, you know? Yeah, certainly. Um, and so it, yes, it was an international search and, um, we've absolutely spoken to candidates domestically and internationally. Uh, you also make a valid point, which is it's been really, really hard for international candidates to come in and have success in MLS. Um, so we have to be cognizant of that and we have to look part of it is understanding why that's the case. And, um, you know, so it's, it's just, it's layers and layers and layers of conversation. Um, and, and I think that's part of why it's taken a fair amount of time. And, and we've also the fact that the timing happened the way it did 
kind of afforded us some of that time as well. It allowed us to really conduct a thorough search and really conduct a process where we could speak to dozens of candidates and have really in-depth conversations. And it didn't just have to be, well, you know, the season's over, the manager's gone. We need a new one in the next two weeks. So go it, you know, we were able to go through a process and, 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 you know, Pablo's done a fantastic job and he's stepped in and led the group and, and he's certainly a part of the process as well. So, um, it's, you know, it's been long, it's been exhausting, but it's been fantastic as well. Uh, you know, I think we, we've learned a lot, um, about our club, a lot about, a lot about a lot of people. Um, so it's, it's been a great process. We're not going to get names, but are you able to give us how big the pool was at the start and where, how, how big or small it is now? Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, we, we interviewed dozens of people, um, you know, some of those multiple interviews, um, the, you know, the pool, I'm not going to give you an exact number, but it's certainly been narrowed down to a handful of candidates, finalists. Um, and, uh, you know, we feel really good about a lot of the candidates we've spoken to. Um, but at this point, you know, we're focused on, on making a run. We're focused on the playoffs. So this, this is interesting. Um, and I don't know how much you can share, but I have to imagine if, if Pablo goes on a playoff run, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe he doesn't win the MLS Cup, but wins a couple of games. I mean, he's he's essentially forcing your hand, is he not? And the, the only reason I say that is because you and I both know the job he's done, or, or the job anybody has to do, taking over a team middle of the year and then trying to implement your own little... And he wasn't afraid to implement. He completely changed the shape and the style in which they play, um, which is incredibly difficult. I mean, most some managers can't even do that over the course of a two-month off-season, let alone in the middle of the year. If he goes on a run, he has he has to control his own destiny, surely. Uh, look, here's what I'll say. I mean, we certainly haven't made any decisions yet. Um, I don't think we're in a position to make that decision right now. Um, he's done a great job. Um you know, on the flip side, it's our job to make the best decision for the long-term success of the club. So, you know, we'll all just have to, we'll have to keep talking through it. We'll have to have a conversation. Um, and, you know, certainly some of those conversations involve Pablo and, you know, it's Pablo's done a great job. Um, and I, I can't say that enough and I can't say enough about, you know, who he is as a person and, and what he's come in and done. So, uh, you know, we'll just have to see. So, um, let's say whoever the manager is, they want to change the shape of the team. They want to kind of change the way they play. Similar to what Pablo has done. Jonathan Menendez, interesting player, right? Came in, got a lot of playing time, looked to be uh, reasonably talented, like pretty good. And then the shape of the team, three, five, two, he just didn't find a, for, a, a position for him, Pablo. And, um, and so like, that's got to be, that, that's got to be, kind of tricky for you this off season. Are they going to be, do you envision, maybe this is an impossible question to answer because you don't know who the manager is going to be yet, but there are going to be players that you're going to have to make a decision on, you know, contracts come into play and all, but like what, 
How hard is that for you to? Sure, to I, I mean it's it's why it, you know it's why every time we're we're bringing a player in, we're having conversations with the coaching staff because it's important that everybody be bought in and everybody believe in in the players that are coming in. Um, so sure those are those are absolutely conversations you know we'll have conversations after the season like you alluded to there are you know different situations that could play out there's you know there's countless options on the table so you know how we will come out on those I, we don't even know yet um you know, we certainly have some ideas but but things change all the time um but it's also something we'll continue to speak with you know with our coaches about how much risk is there when it comes to making and, and players managers when you're hiring anybody like is, is there's there, a lot of risk always. always a lot of risk yes yeah, there's always a lot of risk so how, I mean, how do you limit that um you know i'm going to go back to what i talked about a few minutes ago it's about culture and who the people are um because you know when you're bringing players in and when you're bringing coaches in and when you're hiring staff, it's most important that they fit into the culture and they fit into what we're trying to do. And if, if look, if it's not working in one, in one way here or there, if you have the foundation of, you know, being the type of person that, that we want and we need in our organization, then we'll be able to work through those issues um, or those challenges. Cause they're always going to be there. Um, so I think the best way to limit risk is, you know, to, to be diligent and to be, to be deliberate in the process and to make sure that we, that we don't cut corners. Um, so, so you do your homework, you go through all this stuff and players or managers, whatever the same thing to me, but, um, and this may sound silly, I guess, but but how, how much of it is instinct? I, I have to imagine that, like the best people that do your job, you when when you make as good of a decision as you've ever made, ha I have to imagine. But some of it's instinctual. Yeah. Like Demir, for you said Demir when you when you spoke to Demir, yeah. it was pretty black and white that he was going to be pretty good. Yeah, like a I lot mean, of that's instinct, right? Yeah, I mean, the, there is an instinct involved. I mean, you, you have to be able to. you have to be able to kind of come up with a, a gut feeling and, and believe in it and, and go with it. And a lot of that, you know, and, and a lot of that comes down to the fact that when, especially when you're, when you're looking at kind of a high level there, you're going to have multiple players or multiple staff or whatever, whatever position it is you're looking for. You're going to have multiple people that really are high quality candidates and really fit what you're looking for. Um, and you're going to have to find a way to differentiate them. And sometimes that is just going to be like, you know, like I said, when we, when we signed Demir, um, there were one or two other guys that, you know, that we had spoken about and we had spoken to, um, who were great. And I remember at least one or two of them and they're really good players now. Um, you know, it's not at all that, that, that they are not quality. Um, 
but it just felt right with Demir. Um, and, and so we moved forward with Demir and even though in a vacuum, even one or two of those players, you might say, you might have people saying that's a better player. Demir was a better fit for us. Um, and, and it just came down to all of us believing in him and believing in, in what he brought to the table, um, across the board. Correct me if I'm wrong, whether it be hiring a player or signing a manager, you're trying to you're trying to get the fit. The easy part in hiring a player is establishing whether or not they're good enough to play at this level. The hard part is the character side of things. Management, where like you're looking for a leader. Yeah. So how do you kind of determine the better leader from the you know? Yeah. You, I, you know, I think from a leadership standpoint, you you got to talk to people that have been around that person. Okay. And seeing how that person works. Um, by the way, that goes for players, that goes for managers, it goes for people. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, in a lot of ways, I don't think... I don't think what we are doing... It, it's different, but from a, from a character standpoint, it's not any different than what you should be doing in any line of work, which is hiring people um, and people that are going to complement the skill sets of those around them that are going to fit into the culture and um, you know, that are going to do things the right way. Uh, and so it, it really comes down to that. Um, and, and with leadership, it's, You, you, look, you can you can talk to somebody, and a lot of people are going to be able to tell you what you want to hear. Um, they're going to be able to give you technically the right answer, um, but it's about one, like you said, getting a real feel for who that person is, and and how much you know they are going to drive that culture, and then two, talking to people that have been around them and and finding out if they you know if that's the way they operate day to day. Um, you know, if I suppose in a sense, it's, do they practice what they preach? Right. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of, you know, vetting of resources or references, I guess. Um, again, for players, for coaches, for staff members. I mean, it's just making sure that they fit. This current athlete is different than, any other athlete that have, that has come before so the time that we currently live in, I think coaches need to treat players differently. I, I just don't think the old school hard ass, you know, kind of like intimidation style of leadership. I just don't think it works in today's world. Do you agree? And when you're hiring a manager, you know, like you have to honestly, much like every walk of life, we, you know, we need to treat people differently than people have been treated for a long time. Um, and it's a balance, obviously. I mean, you, you have to have expectation, you have to have accountability. Um, but you also need to treat people like people. Um, so it's, you know, 
again, I come back to the same thing. It's culture and it's, it's fitting into what we are trying to build and the long-term vision and, and, and doing it the right way. Um, and that's not cutting any corners and that's treating people the right way. And it's, um, being respectful of, you know, everybody and it's, which is coworkers, which is players. So, you know, it's, it's the same across the board. Um, so I guess what I'm getting at is, yeah, I mean, it, it, management has evolved, you know, player management has evolved. We're signing different players now than we were signing 10 years ago. We are, you know, players, players who come into our, into our group from our Academy are coming in, in different ways than they've come in before. Um, you know, they've had different struggles and challenges that, you know, that they had to be confronted with. So that's a, there's two sides to that coin. And in one respect, they didn't learn the same lessons that some of the players learned 10 years ago, but they have new lessons and they've seen different things that players 10 years ago hadn't seen either. So it's, it's, it's a constant evolution. Um, look, if, if, if these different nuances and, and there weren't, you know, there, there weren't gray areas to all of this, then it, you know, you could just, uh, you could just pull up the internet and pick the top 10 players and go sign them and you'd be done and you'd win championships, but that's not reality. These are people. And so it's, you know, it's a constantly evolving mosaic of, of people that have to fit together and, and have to compete together and have to fill, um, you know, if they complement each other, they have to fill voids that, that exist and, and, you know, be a part of a team. The last subject I want to touch on is, is obviously ownership. Um, and I don't know how much you're allowed to share, but we're at a point in the year where I'm allowed to share less than I know. And I know practically nothing, but go ahead. <laughs> well, we're at a point now where it's like, we also like may beat Seattle on the 23rd, but there's probably a better chance. I don't, which would suggest the conclusion to, the 2021 season. You hear that, fans? Tom doesn't believe in us. <laughs> no, I, I, I think there's a there's a chance you win, but yeah. you know, yeah. if I'm a betting man, I don't know. I'd probably put my money on on Seattle anyway. Either way, the the season is going to come to an end at some point, right? Whether it be the 23rd of November or uh, however many weeks down the road. Yeah, not not many. So not many. yeah, ownership has to come at some point. Like it just it has to come. Sooner rather than later. It, 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 it can't not, in my opinion. Do you wait for the ownership party to take over to then hire a new manager? Or because you don't know when the new owner is going to come, do you make the manager decision without them? How, how does that work? I, I, well, I'm going to give you a probably an answer you don't love, but... I don't know um, because that's a constantly evolving situation. I mean, if an ownership group comes in in the next two weeks and it, and says, you know, we're buying the team, you know, or we just bought the team, 
we want to have a say in in who you're hiring as a head coach well of course that's i mean they own the team that's their prerogative and 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 we'd be foolish not to consult with them and presumably they're going to be really smart you know credible people who we can have real conversations with and and vet the process with as well so um until that happens though we have to continue to operate and we have to continue to make decisions in the best interest of the club um because i'll tell you what's not i imagine attractive to ownership is uh you know complete uncertainty and us not having a coach whoever that coach is i mean they, you know ownership is going to want us to continue to move forward and um they're going to want us to continue to be successful and and continue to move in that direction and without a coach we can't do that so you've said in the past that you know, any decision you make you basically have to any any serious decision you, you make you have to run through league office and kind of communicate with the league and this is yeah. what we want to do blah 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 so the season comes to an end at some point and you go we need to hire a, we need to hire a manager yeah. like sooner rather than later so that we can have that person in place for the entire off season yeah. get to working on what you know all of the the variables that come into play with that um I assume they're either going to tell you to wait because an ownership is yep. incoming shortly or go right ahead. You, But you haven't had that conversation yet. That hasn't occurred. No. Yeah, I, I mean, I assume, yes. I mean, like, look, you laid it out as well as I could. We're, we speak to the league on major decisions, just like we speak to, we would speak to ownership on major decisions. So, um, you know, and effectively we treat them as ownership in that, in that respect. And so we, you know, we call them and we lay out the process to them and we say, this is why we want to make this decision. And they say yes or no. Now, generally they've been very good and they've worked with us very well and, and they've trusted us. Um, so they've done that to this point. If we do that with a head coach and they turn around and say, no, you need to wait because X, Y, or Z, then we'll wait. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's what we have to do but that hasn't happened. So I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to speculate on whether it will or, you know, why it would, or if it would. I think that's all. Put you through the ring. That wasn't that bad. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great.